of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa. My name is Benjamin Moshadama. Yes, this is Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. We are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're listening to us online, it's on www.channelafrica.org. Well, today we know that uh, uh, we have a lot of elections coming up in the next few weeks. We're going to focus on the issue of political party funding and how it impacts on uh, democracy. We'll be looking at that because there's a big case that's taking place in South Africa as well. But we have Anne Musa to give us our news for now. In the headlines, UN negotiators resume talks with delegates from Libya's warring factions. Chadian soldiers killed 13 fighters from militant group Boko Haram. And at least 71 people have died from an outbreak of a bacterial plague in Madagascar. Good morning. Peace talks in Libya have reconvened in the city. The talks are facilitated by the UN support mission in the country, UNSMOL. For the first time, all invited participants reportedly attended the talks, which UNSMOL says are conducted in a constructive and positive atmosphere. Libya has been plagued by factional fighting since long-time ruler Muammar Gaddafi was overthrown in a popular uprising nearly four years ago. Stephanie Kutrix reports. In addition to the long-awaited political dialogue, the special representative of the Secretary General for Libya, Bernardino Leone, held separate meetings with the delegations. He briefed them about the process and its phases, praising the positive spirit of the participants. The UN mission in Libya, UNSMIL, said the parties agreed on a clear timetable that takes into consideration the wishes of the different groups in order to reach a speedy political solution. They also shared the common goal of ending further security and political deterioration that threatened the country's unity. At least 71 people have died from an outbreak of a bacterial plague in Madagascar. 263 people have contracted the disease since last September. Madagascar has suffered an outbreak of the plague nearly every year since 1980, and case case numbers have increased in the past three years, making it the most severely affected country worldwide. The latest outbreak peaked in November and December, but the plague season continues until April. The bacterial disease is mainly spread by by flea-carrying rats. 
Chadian soldiers have killed 13 fighters from militant group Boko Haram in a battle into the Nigerian town of Gambaru. Chad's army is in Gambaru as part of a regional offensive including Nigeria and Cameroon against Boko Haram, whose militants have staged cross-border raids in addition to attacks inside Nigeria as part of a campaign to establish a caliphate. Much of the recent fighting has taken place near Lake Chad, which borders Nigeria, Chad, Cameroon and Niger and in northern Cameroon itself. A cholera outbreak has killed at least 19 people in northern Mozambique following devastating floods. Health experts have warned against numerous waterborne diseases across the worst affected areas. Mozambique regularly suffers outbreaks of cholera and diarrhea during the rainy summer season. Meanwhile, the death toll from devastating floods in the northern and central parts of the country has risen to at least 158. The cholera outbreak will likely push that tally higher. The United Nations has welcomed a new report on mass rape in Darfur compiled by Human Rights Watch. The report says Sudanese army forces raped more than 200 women and girls in an organized attack on the North Darfuri town of Tabit in October last year. It also states that the United Nations and the African Union should take urgent steps to protect civilians in the town from further abuse. The report also underlines that since the attacks, the Sudanese government has blocked UN investigators from in entering the town to try to prevent victims and witnesses from sharing information about the crimes. UN Secretary General Spokesperson Stefan Dujeric. We welcome uh, the release of this report by Human Rights Watch. I think whether it's the UN or Human Rights Watch, we're all working uh, towards the same goals, which is the protection of human rights in uh, Sudan. Recapping the top stories, UN negotiators resume talks with delegates from Libya's warring factions. Chadian soldiers kill at least 13 fighters from militant group Boko Haram and at least 71 people have died from an outbreak of a bacterial plague in Madagascar. Well, today we'll be focusing on the issue of party funding that is becoming a big story on uh, uh, South Africa, in South Africa rather, but it also kind of affects the rest of uh, the continent because we know that we have uh, upcoming elections. Non-profit campaign My Vote uh, Counts is turning to the Constitutional Court in its battle to access the private funding information to political parties in South Africa. They want the Constitutional Court to order Parliament to enact legislation to regulate access to such information. Parliament, represented by Speaker Balegambete and Tandi Mudi, says the chair of the National Council of Provinces are opposing the application. The matter will be argued uh, uh, in court and it actually started uh, yesterday. Our senior constitutional court reporter Candice Nolan filed this report. This is not the first time that citizens have tried to gain access to the private donor information of the various political parties. The Institute for Democracy in South Africa, or IDASA, lost its court challenge about 11 years ago. The My Vote Counts campaign picked up the cudgels of that battle in 2012. Gregory Solik is a campaign director. So My Vote Counts is a campaign that is trying to ensure greater transparency in the financing of political parties. This is a very old issue. It's been in debate since 1997 when the first Public Funding Act was passed. 
and when no legislation was eventually passed to deal with private donations to political parties, DASA went to the Western Cape High Court in order to try and access the financial records of political parties and lost. The campaign clings, in part, to a so-called undertaking by political parties that legislation to regulate private funding would be implemented. But eight years later, when the campaign came into existence, there was still no legislation in place to regulate this field. Salik says private funding information is crucial for voters. And political parties get around, in total, get around... 600 million, that's just over half of a billion rand a year in public funding. But as large as that amount is, it's dwarfed by the amount that they get from foreign companies, from foreign governments, from local businessmen. And because we know nothing about the source of those funding, we know that it presents a potential corruption risk. And so in order to fight corruption, we need to know and be able to detect large donations and to try and spot if there's undue favour or influence. But Parliament strongly disagrees. Relying on the judgment in the Idasa case of 2004, Parliament says the High Court found that the Constitution does not give citizens access to political parties' donation records. In its court papers, Parliament denies that access to this information is necessary for the exercise of political rights under the Constitution. Further, it insists that it has already fulfilled its obligation to enact legislation when it introduced the Promotion of Access to Information Act. It believes that the My Vote campaign application is a futile exercise. All political parties represented in Parliament have been cited in the application, but no relief is sought against them, and none of them have raised any opposition to the application. Interesting times for South Africa. Uh, we can see the issues of the constitution of the country being questioned there. And I think that is a, a process of the democracy journey, I'm sure. And uh, we're looking at the issue of uh, uh, funding here. Parliament insists that it has enacted legislation which covers the full field of access to information, including private donor information belonging to political parties. Now, uh, this is an issue that has emerged, as we heard from that particular report report by Candace Nolan uh, in the Constitutional Court during arguments in an application brought by the My Vote Counts campaign. They want the court to compel Parliament to enact specific legislation to regulate the disclosure of political uh, parties, uh, private donor information. So that's interesting times. If we see this actually happening, there must be implications for the rest of the continent, I'm sure, as South Africa seems to be this uh, uh, example for the rest of the continent and how to uphold democracy. Well, on the line, we have Glenn Mbani, who's the Democracy and Governance Program Manager at the Open Society Initiative for Southern Africa and also we have Ben Wings an associate at law firm Weber and Wenzel and also he's a representative I'm told of uh, my vote counts campaign let me start with you Ben Wings tell us a little bit about this uh, move by my vote counts to battle the excess of private parties information of political parties Hi Benjamin and uh, good day to your listeners as well thanks very much for uh, letting us uh, come and chat to you so uh, as the, the intro mentioned my vote counts came about about uh, two and a half years ago and tried to engage with the speaker about what is being done since the political parties made a promise in 2004-2005 to enact legislation requiring transparency in the funding of political parties and the speaker pretty much brushed them off 
and said, no, well, this is not Parliament's responsibility. This has already been taken care of. Uh, and eventually there was no choice but to go to court for an order compelling Parliament to pass a law um, requiring political parties to disclose their donations. Now, the, the relief that My Vote Counts uh, is seeking from the Constitutional Court is quite modest. It's just asking the court to instruct Parliament um, that it must, within 18 months, which is a fairly generous period, uh, pass law regulating um, the funding of uh, political parties. And uh, the, um, the relief isn't opposed by any of the political parties, but only by Parliament. And even in the hearing yesterday, where uh, we, my vote counts, were represented by David Unterhalter, who's senior and the Speaker was represented by Wim Trengo, who's also senior counsel, mm. uh, the, the Speaker didn't actually have an answer to the mm. substance of the complaint, uh, which is that citizens are entitled to access this information in mm. order to effectively exercise their right to vote and in order to effectively protect uh, the public from corruption from the risks of corruption. Hmm. And the Speaker didn't have an answer to that and raised only a technical objection that if we're unhappy with PIA, the Promotion of Access to Information Act, then we should have challenged that instead in the in the High Court. Hmm. Well, let me see if we have Glenn Pani there, who is the uh, Democracy and Governance Program Manager at the Open Society Initiative for Southern Africa. Now, this is an interesting move for uh, my vote counts and also for South Africa and the rest of the continent. It really looks at the issue of transparency in governance. Uh, Glenn, what are your views of this move by my vote counts? Uh, thank you so much, and it's good to be on your program. Mm. I think uh, the move by my vote counts is a very progressive move. I'm saying this in the context that um, one of our greatest threats uh, on the continent and in Southern Africa in terms of improving the quality of democracy lies at the center of how political parties are governed mm. and how they are resourced. And more and more, if you look at the challenges that we are facing in the region, they are more to do with political parties. And the most important thing is for us to deal with issues of transparency and accountability. Mm. Most multinationals, most corporates, most private people that are influencing policy and decisions have grown to understand that political parties are very important. And therefore, other than you worrying yourself with approaching parliament, you worrying yourself with approaching a government department, you go to a political party, you resource a political party, mm. and then you are able to influence public policy. And this subverts the will of the people in terms of citizens. Their voice is not heard simply because people who are moneyed, people who have got resources, are able to influence so I think that's one issue that we need to understand. The second one has to do with the unlevel playing field that is created by money. I think mm -hmm. one of the most important things that we need to understand is that when political parties compete, there should be a level playing field. Mm -hmm. And the access to money and resources, in essence, creates an uneven playing field because those who have got money are able to buy more adverts, are able to reach more people, are able to get more mileage because they've got resources. And what we would like is for the individual voter to have an option of listening to different political parties and making an informed choice. 
the other issue that is also there is the issue of abuse of resources. Mm. If we don't have access in terms of understanding what is happening, bad money, money that comes from illicit places, drugs, bad people, corrupt money, Mm. finds its way into politics. And this is one reason that we're saying be transparent. Who is funding you? Why are they funding you? What are the reasons for it? Let's put it out in the open. And I would understand if there's any issue that most political parties in the region agree on, both ruling and opposition, is the issue that they are less inclined towards disclosure. Because by disclosing, it opens up a can of worms in terms of what is happening. So I think the, the push by my vote counts is very, very important and integral. And in the region, we've got very few. We don't have, there is no agency in doing that in mm. terms of ensuring that we have legislation that controls private funding. And even the public funding in terms of understanding how it's managed we don't have legislation in terms of accounting for it and disclosing. So I think this is a very, very good initiative in terms of improving our quality of democracy. Mm. Well, I want to look at the issue of protecting the funders themselves. I know that uh, that's an issue that a lot of people speak about in terms of defending the funders. Uh, I mean, those people who do fund political parties, I'm sure they do that in, in terms of wanting their own uh, uh, interests at heart being pushed forward by political parties, but as well as the issue of wanting also their own uh, um, security issues are involved in, in, in those particular issues. Uh, ben, what do you think about that? Because I'm sure it could be a, a security breach. Yeah, that, that's a very good question. The, the contest here is a balance between uh, the rights of the voters to to know effectively what interests they're voting for, what what is uh, behind these political parties, what interests are they serving? Uh, because obviously, a political party is bound to be loyal or at least a bit grateful to its major donors. Um, and it's, you're then entitled to know uh, what those interests are. Um, mm. But as you say, there's also surely a right for people to support a political party of their choice and to support that party even in a monetary donation. However, it's important then to determine how much money can be donated to political parties um, secretly or at all, and who can donate to political parties. Mm. So we need to identify what rights are these people exercising when they donate to a political party. Um, now, in countries uh, around the world, this is regulated differently, but usually there is a threshold that is put in place uh, to say that you know, anything below 5,000 rand or you know, whatever the, the amount that parliament decides. Uh, is going to be private, but anything above a certain amount is going to be public because okay. you know, when you're making such a substantial contribution, you're actually you know, influencing the outcome of the election. Just another important point to make here is that countries also regulate who can donate to political parties. So, for example, a political party under South Africa's current regime could be getting funding from anybody. They could be getting funding not just from private citizens and unions and organizations, but also from the um, from uh, corporations, even foreign corporations, and even foreign governments, which of mm -hmm. course raises questions about whether the individual citizen's right to vote is perhaps being outweighed by the wallets of uh, the influential 
overseas. Mm. Um, so it's important then to remember that the right to campaign for a political party, to support a political party, even in monetary terms, is a right that accrues to citizens, mm. and it shouldn't be extended to corporations and to foreign governments. Well, someone would ask... Uh, um about that, uh, uh, Ben, in terms of why people vote. Do they vote to find out who uh, political parties are funded by or are they more interested in party policy and uh, those kind of issues? Glenn, your views there? I think I think it's very important that um, you vote for policy uh, that is pushed by a political party. Hmm. The question is who shapes that policy, who defines it? So when someone comes in with money, the question that we ask ourselves is, are you buying in order to shape policy? Or you are just interested in a political party? Because the greatest challenge that we have is that what a voter only has is the vote when they come to the ballot box. But what someone who has money has is that they are able to support the activities towards wooing that voter. Mm. So there is a challenge here and a greater risk that, let's give an example. All political parties are pushing in terms of how to manage natural resources. And a mining company comes and invests X amount of money in a political party. When that political party is going to be pushing policies on how to manage natural resources, are they going to push a policy that is not in the interest of a mining company? Mm. What about if in that area we have got citizens who are staying in that area who support that political party, mm. who feel that that mine is going to affect them in terms of the environment is going to be impacted, they are going to be moved from that place, who do you think the party is most likely to listen to? Well, so here we've well. got... I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Glenn. I think we'll be struggling with the line there. Uh, But I have to take a little break. We'll come back and we'll continue about some of those dynamics that you are uh, actually uh, highlighting there. I think they're very pivotal to highlight when it comes to uh, interests, especially when it comes whose interests are you serving. Is the people's interests or is it private uh, corporates uh, or private property and individuals? That's an interesting element to look at. But we'll take a little break and come back to that. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa Radio. Today we're looking at the issue based in South Africa, but I'm sure that it concerns uh, uh, the rest of the continent as well, especially when it comes to uh, democracy and voting and elections. And I think it's something that we really, really have to work on as a continent. The issue of private funding and uh, maybe accessing that private funding information of political parties. Uh, whose interests are the political parties uh, actually uh, doing their work for and actually another thing that is coming through now is the fact that uh, hey how do you protect the the private uh, um, uh, interests of those who are actually uh, donating to the various political parties and also uh, there could be a security breach there but um, let's see if we can get back to Glenn uh, and Barney but I think we're struggling with the line I hear a little bit of crackling there and I'm not sure what's creating that particular issue and that problem. So that's what we were struggling with a little bit earlier. Let me give you some context to this particular uh, issue that we're highlighting today. The non-profit campaign, My Vote Counts, is, was turning to the Constitutional Court in its battle to access their private funding information of political parties. Now, they were aiming to actually uh, order the parliament to enact legislation to regulate access to such information. Now, we know that uh, parliament's uh, Leaders such as the Speaker Balegambete and Tandi Mudise, as the chair of the National Council of Provinces, are actually opposing this application. And they actually say that the uh, the Parliament uh, insists that it was enacting a legislation which covers the full field of access to information. But we know that it does protect private donor information, especially belonging to political parties. On the line with Glenn Mbani, who is uh, from the Democracy uh, Governance Program, and he is the manager of that particular section of the Open. Society Initiative for Southern Africa. And also we have Ben Winks, an associate at law firm Webb and Wenzel, and also is also representing the My Vote Counts campaign. Now, Glenn, you were highlighting the dynamics that are uh, involve the issue of uh, uh, interests here. Can you elaborate on what you were saying earlier on? And I apologize for those lines. Yes, certainly. The... Uh the point that you raised um, as we uh, introduced this segment was uh, that it's an issue facing the, the whole continent. Um, now, we, in our application to the Constitutional Court, we relied on um, two African uh, treaties, Pan-African treaties, uh, which speak precisely to this point. Now, as you know, the one element of our argument is that people require this information so that they can exercise an informed vote. And then the other element is that uh, this information is required for the effective detection and deterrence of corruption because someone contributing to a political party uh, may then be favoured by that uh, party when it occupies a government um, uh, authority and is perhaps issuing tenders or other forms of regulatory favours. Uh, so the one element is there's an African Charter on Democracy, Elections and Governance which says, among other things, that the member states have a duty to foster public trust and transparency between the voters and the people contesting for power. Mm. Um, so this is a commitment that's been made by South Africa, among other African nations, mm. obviously because of problems that have been identified in the past in several uh, elections mm. and between elections where power appears to be abused, uh, mm. or at least that there are risks, there are institutional risks of abuse of power. Mm. So 
the, the importance of fostering public trust and transparency is then paramount. And then on the corruption side, there's the African Convention on the Prevention and Combating of Corruption. Now, this includes a range of um, obligations for all member states, and one of them is specifically to incorporate the principle of transparency into the private funding of political parties. So it's as specific as that, and Parliament simply hasn't uh, complied with that obligation. It, this, now, this was a treaty, a 2004 treaty, and the, sorry, a 2002 treaty, and the uh, uh, Parliament did pass an anti-corruption law in South Africa after that, and it dealt with almost all of the elements of that convention, but it didn't deal with private funding of political parties. It's not clear why. Mm. Um, yeah, and also what, what I'm interested in, maybe I should move this to Glenn Mbani in terms of... Uh, if you do have this kind of thing enacted, whereby uh, the funding of information of political parties is actually publicized, uh, does it actually become a space whereby you might weaken political parties because uh, it might just uh, create some form of deterioration on how they access funds and where they place their funds? And also, maybe people will withdraw from actually supporting um, political parties. I think regulating private funding enables, places the responsibility on the part of the political party and those who support. I think as it stands right now, it's a blank check and it's an environment that is quite insecure mm. because uh, you are receiving money for purposes that we don't know and there is no limit, there is no threshold, there are no rules, there are no guidelines. Mm. The public does not know. But if everything is placed in the public domain, I think there's a certain level of responsibility in terms of how this is done and how it's governed. But we should also understand that all this is underpinned by political will. Mm. Because I think at the center of it, as much as we are pushing for to say, let's have this enacted, let's have this regulated, if there's no political will and an understanding on how this disadvantages the voter, because at the center of why we have elections, why political parties are there, is a person who supports, whose interests are supposed to be articulated and pushed by a political party. So if those interests are not respected, then we are not in any way meeting their expectations. So I think information should be in the public d- domain to enable them to understand how this works out. And I think the issue of privacy of those who put in money, I understand it. But I think my point is, does it overrule the interests of those people Mm. or the majority who, not not necessarily saying the majority, does it overrule the the interest of the people who are voting? Because Mm. we might have corporates that are coming from outside whose vested interest is only business. Should we be driven by only business interest? Mm. So I think, I think it's very important for us to, to put the voter first in what we are trying to do. Yeah, and also I was just thinking, well, 
you were talking there in terms of well, maybe this issue should also not just be extended on who is actually funding uh, the political parties, but also there should be a certain transparency on how this money is spent because that's been an, a, a, an issue that's coming into the fold right now in our politics in South Africa where people are asking, hey, how is this money spent? Is it spent the right way? I mean, people have been speaking about the economic freedom fighters and the EFF about how they're spending their funds there. Ben Winks, do you think we should also find out there on how the money is used? Yes, absolutely. And just to add to that, it's not only about how the money is being spent, but also how much money is being spent. Mm. So part of the reason why political parties are so reliant on private funding, despite the fact that they also receive public funding, um, now the, the very purpose of the public funding is to relieve political parties from being over-reliant on private funding, precisely because private funding can come with strings attached. So the answer is not now to make private funding uh, secret so that that funding won't dry up, which is the, answer, the, the complaint by some political parties and commentators, mm. that if we, if we make it transparent, then the funding is going to dry up. The solution is not um, to, to then make it secret. The solution is to make them less reliant on private funding in other ways. And the most effective way would be to impose spending limits because if the political parties are entitled to spend uh, as much money as they want on particular rallies or T-shirts or posters or whatever, then it becomes a kind of electoral arms race where, you know, you just, each one is trying to outspend the other, and then they're more and more and more reliant on uh, private donors. And then the, the essence of their political message becomes more and more distorted, and they become further and further removed from the actual voters mm. wh- whose votes they're competing for because now their loyalty is spread across a number of donors. Mm. Well, so, yeah, yeah. well, Ben, I'll come back to that, because I think you're highlighting an, an interesting issue. But then you're changing the whole framework of what campaigning is all about. You're changing the whole framework, if you do that, what elections are all about. They are a big competition. It's not just a, a fair play thing. So we'll deal with that issue about those dynamics that you're bringing in, because I think now you're changing how elections will be held, and basically you're also changing the implication of what uh, an election is all about. But we'll deal with that. If you listening to us, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I am Benjamin Mushatama. Uh, today we are looking at this uh, conversation and it's an interesting one, actually. It brings a lot of questions into the public sphere. And my vote counts has been turning to the Constitutional Court, battling excess uh, uh, for private funding information of political parties in South Africa. But when we come back, I also want to look at the implications this decision, if it is uh, affirmed, would it have certain implications for other African countries? But we'll start with that uh, when we come back after the break. This message is meant for a listener in South Africa. Hi, I'm Gosazana Zaminizuma, the chairperson of the African Union Commission. 
Ebola in Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone is causing untold suffering and loss of life. Despite these odds, we are inspired by the courage of the people, the efforts of the governments and the heroism of health workers and volunteers. It gives us hope and fills us with determination that we can stop Ebola. You can avoid Ebola, you can recover from Ebola, and you can contribute to the fight against Ebola. The African Union and member state countries have deployed health workers and volunteers to stop Ebola, but more is needed. You and I can make a difference. SMS Stop Ebola to the number 40797 and donate at least $1 in your local currency to stop Ebola. You can also donate through the website www.africaagainstebola.org With your donation, we can send a thousand or more health workers to the affected countries. United, we can stop Ebola. Thank you. Just go to our website, www.channelafrica.org, and you can find out more about how to actually support the African Union on uh, that particular Ebola campaign. We've been linking up with them, and uh, so we'll, we have all the details there on our website on how you can actually support the African Union in dealing with that uh, big issue in West Africa. Today we're speaking uh, the issue of uh, transparency in politics, uh, speaking about uh, um, access to private funding information of political parties, because there is a non-profit campaign my vote counts in South Africa that is turning to the courts to say hey we need this to happen for some form of transparency and uh, we have uh, Ben Winks an associate at law firm Webb and Wenzel and Glenn Mbami who is the uh, the democracy and governance program manager at the Open Society Initiative for Southern Africa. Now before the break I cut you off Ben Winks in terms of looking at that particular element whereby you were speaking about actually limitations on how much the political parties can spend but hey Politics is not a, a fair playing field. It is competitive. That's just the nature of politics, Ben. Yes, no, but uh, there is a constitutional guarantee of free and fair elections. Um, and we, we need, these are the kinds of debates that we need to be having. Maybe the system is broken. Maybe the system is unfair. Um, so where you have a small party like the National Freedom Party competing on a shoestring budget with no access even to the public fund, uh, competing against, you know, behemoths like the ANC and the DA, is it fair that the ANC and the DA can just spend as much as they like, even if it far outstrips the, the public funding that they allocated? Mm. Um, the other question then that needs to be examined is maybe there should be more public infrastructure for political parties to use uh, with equal access. Okay. So, so, for example, um, you have uh, radio time and uh, television time that has to be equitably allocated among the parties. But perhaps there should be other infrastructure that is made available to political parties competing in elections. Things like even just airtime and uh, fuel, you know, that they might need to wage an effective campaign and that will also reduce their reliance on on private funding. 
Glenn, Glenn Bunny, your views on what Ben is highlighting there, I'm not really convinced because I think uh, uh, it's a tough world that we live in and the reality is it's it's not always going to be as fair as we want it to be. And when we speak about fair elections, we're not really speaking about the... Are we speaking about the campaign um, stronghold or the campaign capacity of a party or are we speaking about the process of the elections themselves? Yeah, I think I agree with what Ben is saying. One of the things that we are trying to, that we also are trying to avoid by this, is we are trying to avoid process, uh, things like um, client, clientelism mm. and vote buying. That is at the center of most electoral processes, because you, you don't want people to be buying support because that in itself does not advance the essence of an election. I think it goes against the principles and guidelines of having a free and fair election. How so? How so? so? You buy someone to say, vote for me. In essence, what you are basically doing is we are pushing away all issues that have to do with the fact to say, what are you promising to deliver? How are you going to deliver it? What interest is it going to be? What... How is it going to be able to advance my interest? What you are basically doing is all those issues are not important. I'm just going to give you this pack of millimil. You vote for me, and then life goes on. So it basically means whoever has money is able to buy support. Mm. So, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying, but also I feel like... Um isn't politics all about competition? Aren't elections all about, hey, who has the greater weight here in terms of influence? It's not greater Wait, weight Are you not taking away an important element then if, if, if you take away that, that weight? The weight is not, should not be judged by how much money you have. The weight should be on how compelling is your argument, okay. how reliable are you, how justified is the voter that you will be the ve- best person to articulate and represent them in public life. Mm. That is how we would want our politics to be driven. But so that's the ideal. But the reality is that those who have money are able, one, to reach out to the voter through communication, through being able to do many campaigns, through being able to publicize where they are and what they are doing, T-shirts, jamborees and stuff like that but some are even going to an extent of buying items to give to the voters yeah i've and seen that, that is well. unacceptable yeah also when i want to look at the issue let's just say hypothetically if this thing actually happens in south africa what could be the implications of that be for the rest of the continent let's start with you glenn Pami. i think i think in south africa it's actually better off that one we have regulation of there are laws in terms of public funds Mm. and we're talking about private funding we have countries where one the threshold for even opposition political parties being able to access those funding is way unachievable so you only have the ruling party accessing public funds secondly there is no debate or even any law or regulation Mm. of the role of public public private funding Mm. So in essence, you find that you have most political parties dominating, and those that dominate, they're using the leverage of resources. So it's a very worrisome situation. It's not only peculiar to South Africa. And one of the issues why I would benefit from initiatives like what my vote count is doing is that we can be able to 
regionalize the debate, being able to say, you know what, you can regulate private funding, you can manage how public funding is used, and you can ensure that you can have a fair competition. Mm. So this is one issue that we are interested in in pushing on the continent. Mm. Now, let me come back to Ben Winks. Uh, ben, as we uh, actually wrap up the conversation, tell us a little bit about the implications of this. Let's just say hypothetically, if it continues or if it goes forward, what would be the results of it for uh, SADC, for example? The results of the, the reform that, uh, yes, that yes. we've taken to court? Yes, just hypothetically. Well, the, um, th- there would be a process in Parliament over 18 months and there would be an opportunity for public participation uh, where they would be required to pass a law regulating um, transparency uh, in private funding of political parties. It is to be expected, though, that they would also deal with other aspects of private funding, like, for example, who can donate and even how much can be donated. In some countries there are caps to how much a pers- uh, one person can donate. Uh, and there are many African countries that already have legislation dealing with the uh, private funding of political parties. For example, I think probably at, at least a third of African countries outlaw completely donations from foreign governments for obvious reasons. And there are also those that outlaw donations from, uh, from corporations. Uh, and there are several that actually do provide for a measure of transparency, whether it's public disclosure or a form of auditing and disclosure to the Independent Electoral Commission. So we can actually learn quite a bit from uh, neighboring countries in Africa and hopefully in a progressive process uh, and a transparent and participatory process, we can develop a model that could be adopted elsewhere. Mm. Well, I think it's very interesting, and I think what's great about this is that it's bringing a different look at uh, uh, things when it comes to how we look at political parties and their interests and who are they actually serving. And I think uh, it's actually a great moment for South Africa. And if it actually happens, which I'm not quite sure with our ways of doing things in South Africa, but if it does happen, uh, it would be interesting to see how it would affect uh, uh, the rest of the decision-making in the rest of the continent. But thank you to Ben Winks, who is an associate at law firm Weber & Wenzel. He's also part of the campaign My Vote Counts. And also we had Glenn Pani. Thank you to you too, uh, who is the Democracy and Governance Program Manager at the Open Society Initiative for Southern Africa. Very interesting conversation. Thank you both for joining us here on Channel Africa. Thank you, you Benjamin. It was my pleasure. Yeah, fantastic. And I think it's, it's very interesting indeed. But let's move on. It's 11.45. We have Wissani Matibula standing by to give us our economics update. Thanks, Benjamin. Good morning. Nigerian dealers have pulled the plug on electronic trading in the Naira currency after its lead passed the key level of 200 Nairas per dollar. Deploying for the first time a circuit breaker agreed among themselves last month, leading banks in Lagos halted trade after the Naira dropped. At its weakest, it was quoted at a record low of 205 nairas per dollar, which is a decline of over 20%. The route has been driven by the combination of a tumbling oil price 
and a rise in political risk. Meanwhile, Zimbabwe will use $20 million for demonetization of the Zimbabwean dollar that was rendered useless when the country dollarized. Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe Governor John Mangunja says the bank will demonetize balances in the Zimbabwean dollars by June. He says the then prevailing UN exchange rate will be used to convert the Zimbabwean dollar balances that were a result of arbitrage opportunities. And South African Power Utility ESCOM appeals to customers to switch off all non-essential appliances to enable it to keep the lights on when South African President Jacob Zuma delivers his State of the Nation address. The power utility says there's a low to medium chance of load sharing today. Spokesperson Kulu Pasiwe. We will do everything possible to make sure that we keep the lights on. This is dependent on the availability of our power stations. If all of them are working optimally, we will be able to provide electricity and meet the demand of the country. Global mining company Rio Tinto has handed shareholders a $2 billion capital return on top of a higher-than-expected dividend. The bumper return came after the world's second-biggest miner cut costs, capital spending and a debt to show up its cash flows against collapsing commodity prices. Rio Tinto, which is under pressure to please investors uh, to ward off a renewed takeover approach from rival Glencoe, says it's confident that the company will continue to generate sustainable returns for its shareholders. A South African high-end retailer, Woolworths, uh, has posted a 29% jump in half-year profit. The company says adjusted headline earnings per share totaled 244 South African cents in the six months ended December, compared with 188.5 cents a year earlier. Headline earnings per share is the main profit gauge in South Africa, and it strips out certain once-off items. Let's look at uh, financial indicators. The dollar, 11.75 South African rands and 9.51 Botswana pulas and 6.55 Zambian quarters. Also trading at 0.652. The British pound in 0.88 against the euro. Commodities gold is at $1,219 and platinum. Uh, convincingly going down at uh, $1,193 a fine ounce. And the Brent crude oil also has gone down by one notch. Yesterday it was at 56 and now it's at 55.8 cents per barrel. That's how it's looking. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now let's move on to our sports with Tommy Kuza who will give us that update. Thanks for joining us. Cricket South Africa, the CSA and Leeds South Africa are calling on all South Africans to show their full and unwavering support for the protests in Australasia by wearing their national colours or protest jersey during the ICC Cricket World Cup, which starts on Friday. New Zealand will open the tournament at the Hegley Oval in Christchurch against Sri Lanka. South Africa opened their campaign against Zimbabwe in Hamilton on Sunday, and that match will kick off at 3 a.m. Central African time. In football, the South African Football Association, SAFA, has issued a statement wishing Premier Soccer League clubs, Mamelodi Sundowns, Kaiser Chiefs, Orlando Pirates and Bitvest Vets all the best in the CAF Club competition, which kicks off this weekend. League champion Sundowns, together with the runners-up Kaiser Chiefs, will contest the CAF Champions League, while NetBank Cup winners, Pirates and third-place finishers in the league, Vets, will take part in the CAF Confederations Cup. Sundowns will be hoping a lot of love will be on their side as they face St. Michael in Seychelles on Valentine's Day, that is this Saturday on the 14th of February, in the preliminary stage of the competition. The match kicks off at half past for Central African time. PSL Lock leaders Kaiser Chiefs host Township Rollers from Botswana at the FNP Stadium also on Saturday the 14th of February in a match which kicks off at 19 hours Central African time. In the CAF Confederations Cup, Bitvest Vets welcomes Royal Leopard of Swaziland at the Bitvest Vets Stadium on the same day with an earlier kickoff of 6 p.m. Central African time. The South African coastal city of Devon is edging closer to hosting the Commonwealth Games in 2022. This comes after the Canadian city of Edmonton withdrew its bid, leaving Devon as the only remaining bidder to host the multi-sports event. This could pave the way for Devon to become the first African city to host the quadrennial event. Despite Edmonton's withdrawal, the South African Sports Confederation and Olympic Committee CEO Tebe Reddy says that the city of Devon bid committee will still follow due processes. We have noted Edmonton's decision to withdraw from the bid process to host the Commonwealth Games in 2022. As the bid committee for the city of Durban, we are required to follow due process and lodge our bid with the Commonwealth Games Federation, deadline for lodgement, 2nd of March. Captain of the South African Fed Cup tennis team, Al Gringer, has lauded his team showing at the Fed Cup Euro-Africa Group 2 tournament that was played in Estonia last weekend. And Gringer says that his team was simply fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we did incredibly well. I mean, uh, we made ourselves the front runners when we beat Estonia and we, you know, we kept it up and we were tough throughout the week. You know, we, we our number one Shawnee Skippers was uh, a big fit. She she was uh, had a great presence and it made our team uh, have a strong presence and strong belief in themselves. 
And finally in golf, five-time European tour winner Michael Hoy leads the True Thailand Classic and opening 64 for 8 under par, sets a course record and the man from Northern Ireland holds a two-stroke lead over Shiv Kapoor. Here is Alex Noren, who is tied in third place. It obviously feels a lot better when you have a few good rounds under your belt in it and you're just trying to keep on and you work with your caddy on, on all the things that you want to improve and uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's it's a different mindset, but uh, but it's still this you know one shot at a time and all that. You got to do it on a course like this because here you could get frustrated if you don't make the birdies when you have the chances. That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa. Right, that's how we wrap up the program. Thank you for joining us today here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Uh, remember that you can engage with us on our social media, and it's actually uh, really interesting what's happening on our Channel Africa pages. Go to our Facebook one. We have journalists all over the continent who are doing stuff, so there's a lot of links, links, links there of what's happening, where people are going. So uh, if we're reporting on the African Union and we have reporters there, you can get a feel of what's happening there, get updates and pictures, and so it's a lot of fun there. So go find out what's happening there on Channel Africa. That's our Facebook page also go join us on our website www.channelafrica.org i like our website i think it's pretty cool you know what's great about it is that you can also find some of the podcasts of the program like african dialogue you can just go to a website and just go check out some of the conversations there it's not just african dialogue it's other programming as well in the different languages here on our station so go to www.channelafrica.org and uh, interact with us at twitter at channel africa one as well but you can send us your sms if you thought uh, uh, about something on today's program, do SMS us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's all from me, Benjamin Shatama, for today. I'll be back with you next week, Monday. <laughs>